0: Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to welcome you all into Crossroads. If you're uh, here in person, if you're joining us online, if you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, just want to let you guys on a little something before we jump in this morning. Uh, last night I uh, took Elsie, uh, my oldest, up to uh, the sporting game. Uh, if, if you follow soccer at all, they were playing St. Louis. It's the first year that St. Louis has had a team, and they're in first place, which never happens if you watch. Sports, You know, an expansion team never does well their first season, but they're in first place. Uh, You kind of couple that with the fact that, uh, you know, the the Cardinals have been terrible this year, and they don't have an NFL team anymore. And, you know, around here, we're already looking forward to Thursday. That's all that exists in Kansas City right now. Uh, So the stadium, when we got there, they they told us it's going to be sold out, and it's going to be at least 50 percent, they call it red. They're really like this dark pink color, but it's going to be like 50 percent pink. And so we get there, and it was pretty, pretty balanced between the two teams, but it was as loud as I've ever heard a stadium of that size. It was the largest crowd they've ever had at that stadium other than a championship game. And so this is the best voice you're going to get today. Um, <laughs> I know this is probably hard for some of you to believe, but I was vocal during the game. I know that goes against my character that you guys know of me, uh, but uh, good game, sporting one, two to one, uh, it was fun. But, uh, yeah, so I sacrificed my voice in part of this sermon for the game last night. hope you all can forgive me about that. Uh, Before we jump in, I want to just give one one quick announcement. Next week, we're starting a new series on the Holy Spirit, and I want to encourage you to be here for that. It's a four-week series. We're just going to look at the personhood of the Spirit, uh, the power and the presence of the Spirit, and and what that means in our lives, uh, specifically as we uh, navigate just our daily walk with Jesus, because the Spirit is something that... Often in churches, either it gets talked about too much or not enough. And, and in fact, Francis Chan refers to the Holy Spirit as the forgotten God. And so we're gonna we're gonna spend a few weeks talking about the Spirit. Next week, I want to encourage you to be here for that. Today, we're gonna wrap up this series called "Be Still," where we've been looking at uh, the fourth commandment. That God gives us in Exodus chapter 20. If you don't remember, the fourth commandment is this Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. It says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, the, the first three commandments, as we've talked about, are, are a vertical orientation, they're connecting you to God. Don't have any other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your uh, uh, don't have any idols. And then the, the remaining six, number five through ten, are all outwardly focused. They're all horizontal connection, you to other people. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet, honor your parents. And right there in, in the middle of that is the fourth one, is the Sabbath. We've said kind of throughout that the Sabbath is where heaven meets earth. It's what connects our connection with God to our connection with other people. And, and as a result of that, the Sabbath is something that we need to be more mindful of. Uh, The Sabbath is a space that God created for us to carve into our normal routine and rhythm so that we can block out all of the the self-created nonsense in the world, all of the self-created chaos, and instead we can just exist in his presence and enjoy God and, and, and the creation that he has made around us. But one of the things that we've not really talked about in this series, we've mentioned that Sabbath is important that we need to pause and break for that one day each week. But kind of the theme that that I hope comes out of this is that Sabbath is more than just one day. Yes, we, we stop and we pause for that one day, but Sabbath is more than just a day. It's about a day that is restful that should impact every aspect of our lives that should fuel us and keep us going throughout the course of the week, not just a one day that will eventually run out, but a day that trickles through and impacts every single day. I heard this week that Sabbath spirituality is a life that is grounded in what Jesus refers to as a rest for your souls. We've used that verse out of Matthew 11 throughout the course of this series where Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me if you're weary and and heavy burdened and heavy laden. See, that's what we often get. We get weary. We get burdened. We get heavy laden because life is hurried. That's what we've talked about over the course of this series. And and I know I told you guys, this series has got a lot of repetition to it. A lot of times as a preacher, you try to avoid repetition. Well, you heard this sermon last week. I'm going to preach something else this week. We try to avoid that. I know sometimes I do that anyway just because I, I just kind of in the moment, we'll say some of the same things. This series is by design to be repetitious because if you're like me, sometimes you need to hear things several times before you go, oh, maybe that's actually a good idea. And so we hear it over and over and over and I'm hoping now by the week four of this series, we're starting to understand why it's so important because life gets us in a huge hurry and that's a trap that is so easy to fall into because life is busy and it's loud. Life keeps us going And I think that we have to remember in the midst of that loudness, in the midst of that busyness and chaos and craziness, remember what God said to David in Psalm 46 when he told him to be still and know that I am God. We need that reminder that he is God and that we are not. I think sometimes in the midst of being still, we can do that. We can pause. We can be still. But I think sometimes we forget that last little part there. That we remember that he is God. And what I want to do today is just kind of look at what the Sabbath ultimately is all about. We've talked about it from the rest standpoint, but what do we do with it? What does it ultimately lead to? Yes, it leads to rest for our mind and our heart and our soul, but why? Why is that important to us? Jesus, I think, gives us a good example of this. Jesus was always one to observe the Sabbath. We read this throughout the Gospels. Jesus retreating by himself or pausing or, or getting away but yet Jesus also always used the Sabbath as an opportunity to do things. He used it as an opportunity to minister to people. Just like so many other things in his world, he used what was around him to prove a point or to teach something. And often we see Jesus doing some kind of a healing on the Sabbath. Multiple times in the Gospels we see this. One example is in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and it says there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and it's surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? That's like maybe the dumbest question Jesus ever asked anybody. This guy's laying by a pool that if you go into, they believed it had healing properties, and he says, do you want to get well? That's like my kids coming to me and saying, Dad, I'm hungry, and me asking them, do you want to eat? Like, I know the answer to that question already, but I think he asked him the question because he wanted to see his response. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm waiting to get in, somebody else goes in ahead of me. The context here... The Jewish people believed this pool had had healing qualities and that an angel would come down like once a day and stir the water around. And once that happened, the first person that could get in there would be healed. And this person saying, I don't have any friends to lift me up and and help me into the pool, so when when it gets stirred up, somebody else beats me to it every time. And and Jesus sees that. Jesus knows the, the custom. He knows the tradition. He knows what they believe about this. But Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. Now get this, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And the story goes on. The Jewish leaders see this man. They know who he is. He's been laying at this pool for years trying to get in there and get healed. They they knew who he was. And they see him walking along, now fully healed. And the first thing they think is, he's carrying his mat? That's a violation of Sabbath law. Because you can't work on the Sabbath. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how in Israel, on the Sabbath, they can't even push elevator buttons. Like, that's considered working. Anything that might be, you know, extra duty, other than just getting from one place to the next, is considered to be work. And that's what they got after this guy for. There was another example in Mark chapter 3. It says, another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. This is, okay, context your place. He's at church. He's at church on a Sabbath, and there's a man with a shriveled hand there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. I talking about the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. So they uh, watched him closely to see if he would heal him on a Sabbath. Like They're kind of waiting for this to happen for Jesus. This is what they often did. They tried to trap him into either one of two things, and they could get on to him for either of those two things if he did them. But Jesus said to them, uh, said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, again talking about the leaders, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. In the Jewish faith, in the Jewish faith, there's a principle referred to as Pekuach Nefesh. Pekuach Nefesh is this principle that life is valued above all, life is valued above the law specifically. And so, kind of what Pekuach Nefesh would refer to is if it's unlawful to work on the Sabbath, then it's unlawful for me to pick up my phone and punch in a number and call somebody, or it's unlawful to pick something up and carry it a considerable distance. But if I were to come across somebody who is injured or badly hurt or in need of medical care, then by the the law of pekuach nefesh, I am required to pick up my phone and punch in a number and call 911 or required to pick that person up and carry them to get medical attention. It's the idea and the principle that the value of life is above the law. Here's the problem with this. Over the course of time, The idea of Sabbath, which was a law given by God in the Torah, the Jewish law, this law that was sacred, became such a high point of of religious viewpoint from the Jewish people that additional law had been added onto it. And the Sabbath, which originally was created by God to rest in Him and abide with Him, to protect our walk with Him, actually became the object of worship in and of itself, That's not part of the Torah law. That was actually part of the Mishnah, which was law created by man to stack on top of the Torah to kind of emphasize it. And we look at this from our perspective as a church. We've probably done the same thing over the course of time. We have taken the gospel, and we have stacked on top of the gospel over the course of time to where we have created law. And the idea of doing that is you you value God so much That you value people's walks with God to the point where you want to put extra rules in place to make sure nobody messes this up. And in the process, you make it too difficult to follow God. We've seen the church do this same thing over the course of time here. And Jesus gives a very simple and pointed reminder of why you can't do that. I mentioned Mark chapter 3 a minute ago. But if you go back just a few verses earlier, there's another example of Jesus doing something on the Sabbath. In this case, he and his disciples are walking through a grain field. And they reach down as they're walking. Just picture a wheat field. I don't know if it was wheat or not. But just picture a wheat field that's, you know, about this tall. They just kind of scoop up a handful of this as they're walking by. And it says that they would would take this and they would kind of thresh it with their hands and get the shaft off of this. And then eat it like a quick little snack. But guess what? Scooping it up and threshing it. Now you're harvesting. You're working, and it's a Sabbath. That's a no-no. And once again, the Pharisees got on to Jesus and the apostles for this. But look what Jesus says to them in the middle of their conversation in Mark 2, verse 27. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. At this point, the Jewish people basically believed man had been created to keep the Sabbath. And Jesus says, no, that's the other way around. Sabbath is here for us, not the other way around. And he goes on to say in verse 28, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, they had made this to the point where where Sabbath was more important than what it was originally intended to protect. To the point where it had become an object of worship itself. It was practiced at, at an extreme legalistic level at this point meaning the law above all else. Legalism was starting to reign, again, through that Mishnah, the law. They had stacked on top of God's Torah to the point where there was no room for grace. Everything was extremely black and white, and they were looking at it often from the wrong angle. Here's the problem, though, when it comes to us and Sabbath today. We actually have the exact opposite problem. We've moved from this idea of a legalistic view to much more of a liberalistic view where the rules don't even really matter anymore. It's not that we keep them in high regard. It's that we just disregard them altogether and we throw them out. Sabbath went from being the entire point of a Jewish person's life to being completely irrelevant in ours. Like we said kind of at the beginning of the series, it's a nice luxury to have for a lot of people these days. But Jesus tells us what the point of it is. He says that Sabbath is made for Man, It's made for us. Now hear me out on this for just a second here. This is kind of where my brain was spinning this week as I was, was coming up with this. If Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and we've made him the Lord of our lives, if you've accepted him into your heart, you've been baptized, you, you, you've, you've made him the Lord of your life, Sabbath is something you should keep. It's something you should want to keep. It's something you should observe and you should practice. Here's why. Go back to the idea of pekuach nefesh, the idea that life is more valuable than law. If this law of keeping the Sabbath, which got puffed up well beyond its original intention uh, to, to become its own idol, if Jesus can put it aside for the value of saving life, or restoring life, in this case with with the two examples we read about, if he can do that, and if he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and he does his best healing on the Sabbath, what does that tell us about what Sabbath should mean to us and the way we rest in God? It tells us that ultimately Sabbath is there to restore us. Why? So that we can abide in God more. That we can abide in him better. That we can connect with him. And I've said this so that we can also connect with others. We have a mission to fulfill, to go bring the gospel to the world, to make disciples of all nations. And we can't do that running on an empty tank. But it's more than just that. And ultimately, I think it's more than just that, but it's also very, very simple. I think the ultimate true point of Sabbath is so that we can worship God more intimately. It's that we can get rid of everything that's possibly in our way, even stuff that's good, so that we can just be with him. And again, maybe that's a massive oversimplification. But ultimately, we were created to worship and be with God. That's what the Garden of Eden was all about. We got to abide with him until sin got in the way. But once we let sin get in the way, in the centuries and millennia after, All we have done is try to fix that. We have tried to be the God of our own story, be in control of our own story, and we sometimes need the reminder that he is God and that we are not. And I think Sabbath is a good opportunity for us to just step back and get a little better perspective on that. I think that because I read Psalm 23, where David, the king who is going through a lot, talks about God being his shepherd. Once he say? the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want, or I lack for nothing is what some, some translations say. <laughs> Remember what verse 2 says? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Doesn't say he suggests that I lay down in green pastures. Doesn't say God says, you know, David, it would be a good idea if you did this. Doesn't say that, you know, if I've worked hard enough this week, I get to take some time. And, no, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And then he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores, he refreshes my soul. I'm reading a book right now called Lead Like a Shepherd. It's written by a pastor in San Diego. And he talks about as, as church leaders, not, not just pastors, but any leader across a church. If you're a ministry team leader, even if you're just on a ministry team, that we're called to lead like shepherds, kind of using the words of Peter. And he said, Sometimes a shepherd has to make his sheep go to a place that they don't necessarily want to go because it's the right place to go. But he's doing it with the right intentions. And here God is saying, David, lay down, stop. There's water here, there's quiet here, there's calm here. All that junk out there will still be there tomorrow. Today, lay down and rest. And what's David get to do in that moment? It's a moment of worship. It's a moment of abiding with God, in God and with God. I think too often we don't get a chance to go beside those, those quiet, still waters because we forget how God created us and how God created the life around us. And we forget that God created the life that was meant to be lived with margins. If you've ever stopped and thought about margin what margin is, what it means, think of it like this. There's shoulders on a road for a reason. How many of you would rather drive on a four-lane road with wide shoulders and a median down the middle that separates it, or a two-lane road with no shoulders and just a simple line down the middle? (laughs) Would rather have that wider road. Why? There's just a little more flexibility, a little more space. Something happens, you got a whole shoulder over there to to correct before you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. You go off that two-lane road, you can be in some trouble. I think sometimes it's like this. When you're in traffic, if there's no cushion on either side, sometimes all you do is you get caught up in the traffic, and that can actually be more, more stressful to drive in than a wide road where everybody's going this you know, with the flow and, and there's plenty of space. We get caught up in what's around us. Life is meant to be lived with margins because margins help us stay centered. They help us stay focused on what's in the middle rather than the threat that's on the outside. Life was meant to be lived away from hurry. Hurry pushes us past our limits, and we are very limited. Again, we are not God. He rested even though he is a God who doesn't tire or grow weary because he knew that we weren't and that we would. We were not made to go nonstop. Hurry pushes us past the the idea of being able to be filled. It pushes out what does fill us. And we weren't created to pour out nonstop. Many of you are our servants. You serve this church. You're on a ministry team. But Many of you lead our ministry teams. And if you don't serve here or you haven't served here long, you've served at other churches. And let me just tell you, as as a church staff member, we are so, so grateful for those of you who serve. It makes our jobs a whole lot easier. It lets you share in the ministry of the church. There's so many benefits to this. But you aren't made to serve nonstop. Occasionally you've got to stop and rest and catch your breath because we are, none of us are limitless. Eventually, if you pour and you pour and you pour, you will run out. And stopping lets that fill back up. See, we've talked a lot in this series about just the busyness of the world, kind of the corporate rat race or or the busyness of family or the busyness of of the distractions of everything going on. Sometimes even as a church, we can get guilty of this by trying to focus on being the church too much. Again, we're grateful for those of you who serve. But if that's all you do is serve, 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 give, 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 you run out. I've seen too many people just burn themselves out because they're they're so focused on helping others. And it's again, it's great. Somebody told me a quote a long time ago that really stuck with me: that too often we get so caught up and worried about working for the church that we forget that we are the church. And we forget to just be the church. And you've got to stop. And you've got to cease, like the word Shabbat means, and rest. We forget sometimes that we come here to worship God first and foremost. Jesus gave us a good example of this. Matthew chapter 14, he has just been informed about the death of John the Baptist, who was his cousin. And Jesus, like so many of us, remember when Jesus came to earth, he put on human limitations. He was God in flesh, but he put on the human limitations and the human emotions, and he would wear out and get tired just like we could. Matthew 14, like so many of us, when he hears about the death of somebody he cares about, He just needs some time to be alone and some time to rest and some time to go to God. And the people followed him. It says in Matthew 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Gets on the Sea of Galilee, floats across, gets up on the side of a mountain. He needs some time alone. Guess what? He's Jesus. At this point, he's a rock star. Thousands of people followed him. It says 5,000 men. That doesn't count the women and children, but they followed him to this place. And it says that he took compassion on them because he saw the crowds. And he performed miracles. And he, this is where he feeds the multitudes with just two fish and five pieces of bread. And it says, after he fed them, in verse 23, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Notice what is there. He's alone and he's praying. Jesus took these opportunities to withdraw, and to spend time with God. Yes, he was God in the flesh, and his entire mission was to come and to seek and save the lost, to bring life to the full, and to serve others. And he needed time to stop those three things so he could rest. Why would we be any different? No, we need to pause. Sabbath is not a suggestion, and it's not a luxury. It's a command, and more than a command, it's a necessity in our lives. I, I was thinking about this kind of parallel when God gave the, the law and he told the Israelites to observe the Sabbath. Uh, initially, he's talking about what we've talked about. Once every seven days. You need to stop and rest. But that extended beyond just their personal lives. It extended into their entire being. In fact, he gave them another law talking about when they farmed their fields. He would say, when you plant this field, one year out of every seven, don't plant in this field. Go plant somewhere else. This field needs one year of not being farmed to restore itself, for the nutrients to be restored and refreshed and reinvigorated. Now think about this for just a minute here. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that, that God tells us not to worry because he created the birds of the air and the grass of the field, the lilies of the field. And That grass and those lilies of the field are here today and gone tomorrow. And yet God, this grassy field, tells them one year out of every seven, that needs to rest so that it can be rejuvenated. And Jesus goes back to that thing on the sermon on the Mount, and He says, if God cares about this so much, how much more do you think he cares about you? Why would that same principle not apply for us? When we stop and rest, it's about a rejuvenation within us a restoration within us where we can connect back closer to the creation God made us to be by connecting closer to him, by worshiping him through all that we do. We've talked a lot in this series about different ways that you can observe a Sabbath, different activities you can do or or naps you can take or bicycle rides or hikes or whatever you can do to plug in. But I want to look at this just a little bit differently today. Because I want Sabbath to become more than just a practice. I want it to become a reality in our lives. A reality for a life that was created to worship God. First and foremost. Yes, we're created to serve others. Yes, we're created to seek and save the lost. We're created to make disciples. But first and foremost, we are created to be with Him. To abide in Him. To worship with Him. So how can we do that? I think even through Sabbath you can do that. And I want that to be a challenge for us as we wrap this series up today. There's a lot of ways we can do this. I've, I've highlighted three for the sake of time. Three simple ones that I think we can all be doing on a regular basis here. The first, if you want to worship through Sabbath, you've got to intentionally create time daily for scripture and prayer. Now put on here, create time daily, and I hope you are spending time in your word and in prayer on a regular daily basis. But if you... If you do observe Sabbath, that's how your day should start. Because you might be like me, and we've talked about sometimes these Sabbath activities can be as simple as sitting on the couch. I mean, just taking a day and resting. But no, you you start that day off with Scripture and prayer. Get your mind focused on God. Spend time with Him before you start to spend your time alone with Him. Spend time, it sounds silly to say, spend time with Him focusing on him and let that trickle down through the rest of your day. That's what Jesus did. Jesus went to God. He got alone and he prayed and he rested in him. Folks, our world isn't going to do this for us. It's a world that's throwing us more and more distraction, focusing on anything other than God and his word. So you've got to be intentional about this, but spend time with him in Scripture. And in prayer, a second uh, thing we can do to worship through Sabbath is, is add in time to connect with others. Get connected with people. Uh, our small group sign-ups, you're going to hear about this in a few minutes, are, are in full swing right now. I would encourage you, if you're not in one, sign up for one. Get involved with community. Community is, is so important to us right now. We, we lost that a few years ago going through, through a pandemic. So let's recapture it. Let's get that back. Because we weren't made to run life alone. And I think about community like this, it's kind of like a savings account, like a retirement account. You may not think you need it right now. One of these days you will, and if you're not pouring into it now, it's not going to be there for you when you do need it. So invest in community. Connect with others. And when it comes to Sabbath, there's times for both of these. Yesterday was kind of an example for me. It was the first Saturday we've really had home and free in a long time. And there was things I could have done. There was, there was a men's breakfast group here that I had on my calendar to come to. There were other things going on that we could have been a part of. But we didn't have soccer games yesterday morning. And we just decided we're going to stay home. And we're just going to be at home with just us. It was just Jennifer and I and the kids had breakfast. We watched some football games. said so Elsie and I went to a, game, a soccer game last night. Next week... We've got some people hanging out with us. We're going to have that community around us. And we're going to spend time with them. Again, there's times for both of these. But don't neglect the idea of Sabbath with community. Like we talked about last week, sometimes in those moments, you're going to say things that they didn't realize they needed to hear and vice versa. God will use you and use others to build community up. And there's worship through that. Third thing you can do, and this one may sound silly, it may sound counterintuitive to what we talk about a lot around here, but if you want to worship through Sabbath, allow opportunities for others to serve you on occasion. You may go, hang on a second, you just said that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, it's true. We are. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And serving is important. We already talked about this here. But here's the thing. We mentioned this a moment ago. When you serve, and you serve, and you serve, and you serve, eventually you run out. And when you allow others to serve you, it does a few things for you that I actually think will help you to worship God. The first thing it does is it humbles you. Because when you serve, guess what's happening? You're in control. It allows you to let go and let somebody else be in control of something for you. Second thing it does... It fills your bucket. Allowing somebody else to pour into you fills your bucket. And the third thing it does is it allows other people to participate in ministry and for you to be the subject of that. And I'll tell you, number three, it's awkward for me. It's awkward for me to be served by other people. It it always has been. One of my professors in Bible college used to say one of the hardest things, if you're a ministry person, your ministry might have one of the hardest things for us to do is take the posture where we're the one putting our foot in the basin of water for somebody else to wash it. Last year, we, we had a volunteer appreciation dinner, and uh, it was the first time I think we had done that, but we, we had this room filled, and we had planned all this out. We, we cooked. We told a staff and elders, we were the ones putting this on, and we told the volunteer teams, you are coming, and you are participating. That's it. We are serving you. And we had three or four of of the ladies, especially, who they were having such a hard time with us. No, no, we serve you. It doesn't work the other way around. We had one of them. She's not here, so I can mention her by name. But uh, but Pam, who runs our fellowship team, could not stay out of the kitchen. I said, Pam, I will duct tape you to the chair if you come in here again. (laughs) I'm, I'm not making that up. I said that to her. I said, and then... All of us on staff were going to take you and you alone to dinner next week. You're getting both of those. And it was funny because she sat there, and I mean, she looked uneasy the whole night. Because we are serving her, and that's her job is to serve us. We did it again this year. And she walked in the door and goes, I'm really looking forward to this this time. <laughs> she understood something. It's okay to be served every once in a while i not saying that should be our goal. Jesus told us the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. But every once in a while, you connect with God in such a weird way when you put your foot in the basin of water and you let somebody else serve you because they are ministering to you and it's going to fill you in a way that you didn't expect to be filled. So let go of that, that control in that moment. The world, folks, it's going to throw so much at us. We've talked about this. So many distractions, so many problems, so many things that can keep us from focusing where we're supposed to focus. But yet, we weren't created for that. We were created for a kingdom. And we were created by a king who gave us this wonderful gift of stopping. This wonderful gift of breaking so that we could rest in him and abide in him and with him and keep the distraction away. I think the Apostle Paul might have said it best, and I think it's it's a good way for us to wrap this series up in, in Colossians 3 when he said to set your heart on the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not the earthly things. When you set your heart and mind on everything around you, worry and stress is going to follow. But When you set them on him, that's a life of worship. And it's a life that will draw you into more of a closer walk with Jesus. And can invite you and pull you in to rest with him. I'd like to kind of wrap this up, maybe just a bit different. Instead of just praying over the sermon, I want to pray for you all. If that's okay with you. As we wrap this up, I know Sabbath can be hard because we're busy, because we don't like to stop, because there's so many things in front of us. But can I just pray over you and pray a blessing over you as we wrap this up today, before we step into communion and spend time with our Father. Let's go to him in prayer. God, we're so thankful you give us this gift. We're so thankful that you, you have, for us, carved out this, this time to be with you. God, I pray that we would always remember that time and that that time would be blessed as we observe it, that we wouldn't worry about what's coming tomorrow. We would just, as Paul says, set our hearts and our minds on you and on you alone and how we would see that Sabbath is ultimately about a worshipful life that can impact every day. God, I'm so thankful for this. Thankful for this gift that I I pray we treasure that we value, that we look forward to every single week. God, we're so thankful for your son, Jesus. Mm -hmm. We pray today in his name. Amen.
1: It's at this time that we're going to start getting ready for communion. And we were singing a song upstairs. Maybe you recognize it. That one. I surrender. Sing it out. I surrender. I surrender. Such a cool song. I remember a few years ago, I was watching a video and there was a couple worship pastors up there doing kind of a spoof night. And they said, you know, what if worship songs were honest? And so they were going through all these different worship songs and changing the lyrics subtly. And then they got to that song. I surrender some. I surrender some. You get the idea. Ooh, that one hurt a little bit. (laughs) Right? Did me as I sat and thought about it. It was supposed to be a humorous moment, but I was like, man, that kind of hit me right here. Like, it's actually kind of right. I do surrender some, not all, at least not all the time. I think maybe you're kind of like me in that, in that way. But Philippians 2: 12 through13 says there, says this: "Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure." I love that because it means that we're a work in progress. And the heart of the song is to be surrendering surrendering ourselves more fully to him. And so the goal is to be further along tomorrow than we are today. So as we take communion today, let's keep that in mind. About God, tomorrow, how can I be surrendered more fully to you than I am today?